2 Samuel chapter 15 in the Word of God. Now let's work to get visitors out throughout the week and uh, see what the Lord does in all of that. I hope that you young people will work. Let's do it this way. I'd like all the young people to work to get visitors out on Monday night. If you're 19 years of age and younger, let me see your hand. If you're 19 years of age and younger. All right, it's your responsibility to get someone here tomorrow night, okay? Call your mom and your dad and your friends and your neighbors and your enemies and get them here. And uh, let's see what we can do on Monday night, okay? And then on uh, Tuesday night, let's have all the uh, let's have all the ladies work to get visitors here on Tuesday night. So, ladies, uh, we'll work to get visitors. And uh, then on Wednesday night, all the men have the responsibility, okay? So, men... Uh, it's your job on Wednesday night. You've been foreordained from before the foundation of the world to get visitors here on Wednesday night. Okay? And let's see what the Lord can do through us. That way it gives us some kind of a tangible goal to reach. I want to mention there are several items on the table in the back. There's some books and prayer cards. There's several items that my boys have made that uh, you might be interested in. So I hope that you'll go by the table in the back and, and use that. We're planning to go to Italy this next, this next uh, November, and so we sure covet your prayers as we head in that direction. Pray that it'll open up the world over and that nothing else of great calamity will cause us to, you know, I don't know, you know, there's wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and plague, and, and next thing we know, the mouth of the, 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 mouth of the earth is going to open up and swallow up a whole nation. So pray that that doesn't happen. Although, I was just in California, and every time I've been to California, they've never had an earthquake. And all my life, I've wanted to have or experience at least a little earthquake. I don't want a big one. How many of you here have experienced an earthquake at some point in your life? Oh, okay. In Virginia. Oh, okay. All right. Well, well, since I'm here in Virginia on the other side, maybe you all can send an earthquake. That would be really, uh, really a blessing. And uh, maybe it'll affect some certain addresses around here. Your Bibles are open to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, let's go to the Lord right now and ask him to bless our time in his word tonight. Shall we, Father? Thank you for the privilege that you've given me to open up the Bible. I, I pray in Jesus' name that you will impact our hearts this evening. Help me as I preach to do so wisely. I pray, Lord Jesus, that people would be helped through this message. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will work in and through everything that's said and done. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you accomplish. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I want to preach to you tonight on the tale of three grandpas. The tale of three grandpas. And I want to tell you the story of three different individuals who in their elderly years made some choices, some good and some not so good. The first is the story of a man named Mike. He's not the grandpa, but he uh, he was married into a family and uh, he had a great a great opportunity ahead of him. He he married into a family with with a Christian home and a Christian background. He had a great chance to 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 really build his own family and make a great difference for the Lord. His uh, father-in-law was a, a successful businessman, and and they lived in the state of Washington. Had a great opportunity uh, to to establish another Christian home. He married a young lady named Jess and. They had, uh, they, they began to have kids. They had a girl and a boy and, and, uh, it looked like the sun was on the horizon and it was just beginning to dawn and their whole life was ahead of him. But sometime after they had been married, 
uh, might begin to make some wrong choices and some, some wrong steps in a wrong direction. And he got involved with a young lady and he was, he was unfaithful to his wife. Well, of course, this caused great division in the home and a great, great contention amongst him and Jess. And they would go on to the divorce court. Jess went to her dad and asked his advice as to how she should handle it. And he said something to this effect. Gut him from his belly to his throat. Doubtless he was discouraged by the whole thing, frustrated by the wrong that had been done, angered and upset. But that advice would hold truth through the rest of Mike's life and haunt him. At the time, he was working, making a good-paying job, and so the judge set the child support based upon that salary. Mike was, Mike was very winsome in his personality, and he seemed to always climb to the top of every corporation that he worked at, and then he'd get in some kind of a row or rift with those at the top, and he would, he, he would get fired or his job would be terminated. And so that happened. He ended up uh, taking his new wife and, and the young lady that he'd been involved with. They got married and had children. And, and uh, he would be so low sometimes, he would be staying in his car, staying with friends, staying in their garage, just staying somewhere. He ended up having to divorce his second wife and went from pillar to post and from job to job. And later he would get cancer and he would be driving a truck way out west when he got cancer in his leg, and Mike would eventually succumb to that. And I wonder, I wonder what this particular grandpa felt when he went to Mike's funeral. And he stood there with Mike's kids, his grandkids. And he thought back to the words that he said to his daughter, gut him from his belly to his throat. The second grandpa is found in the pages of the Bible. Second Samuel chapter 15 introduces us to him. And I want you to notice what the Bible says in Second Samuel 15 and verse 1 for the sake of context. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Do you know who prepares chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him? Kings. Or those who want to be. Absalom wasn't a king. But he wanted to be. And he wanted that throne more than anything else in his life. And it didn't matter to him who he hurt and who he stepped on to get to that throne. Absalom betrayed his own father to steal his father's throne. What Absalom did is despicable. It's uncomely. It is unthinkable. But it happened. And Absalom, because his life was ruled by himself and ruled by pride, decided he was going to take his father's throne. He'd been living in Jerusalem for some time. He'd been living there for a couple of years and things weren't right between him and his father. In fact, he didn't talk to his father. That wasn't all Absalom's fault. I I would charge that it would be partly David's fault that he didn't reach out and try to mend a relationship with Absalom. But now, now Absalom is ready to vent his anger and his hatred for his own dad. 
And, and in the course of this betrayal and this coup, he has to have people that will follow him. Verse 7. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode in Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Now Absalom was just making up this thing about worshiping God in Hebron. So it's not just that he's betraying his father, but he's betraying him under the guise of going and vowing a vow and paying a vow and worshiping God. Verse 10, but Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Now here in this passage of scripture, in verse number 12, we find our second grandpa. His name is Ahithophel. Ahithophel, I want to notice a few things about Ahithophel tonight that maybe, just maybe, would apply to someone in this room. The scripture tells us in 2 Samuel 15 and verse 12 that Ahithophel was offering sacrifices while, uh, while he received a message from Absalom. So I want you to notice a few things about Ahithophel. Number one, Ahithophel was a man of worship, a grandpa. He was a, a dad. He had accomplished much in his life. But at this point, when we first find him upon the scene of Scripture, in 2 Samuel 15, 12, we note he's a man of worship. You say, how so? Because he's offering sacrifices. He was a man who knew how to worship God. He was a man who knew how to pray. He was a man who knew how to sing songs. He was a man who knew how to get things right and to follow the Jewish plan of, of redemption and confession of sin and dealing with sin. He knew how to offer a, a burnt offering and a sacrifice and a praise offering and a thank offering and a wave offering. He was offering sacrifices when he receives a message from Absalom. So we know, number one, that he was a man of worship. But notice what the Bible says in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, There came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee. He wasn't fighting this battle. David was a warrior and David could have quelled this rebellion quickly, but he didn't. He said, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. One thing about David was he always had compassion for his people. And David always seemed to long to to care for his people. And he was willing to take the hit instead of the people taking the hit. Verse 15, And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever that my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place that was far off. And all his servants passed on beside him and all the Cherethites and all the Pilathites and all the Gittites, 600 men which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. 
And then said the king to Ittai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou camest that yesterday, but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and, and down with us, seeing I go whither I may? Return thou and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. And Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether it be, whether in death or life even, there also will thy servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. And Ittai the Gittite passed over and all his men and all the little ones that were with him. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness." Oh, this is a a tragic story. David's heart is no doubt broken. I'm sure that David is reflecting over the last several chapters of some of his own grievous mistakes and his own missteps. I'm sure he's thinking about how he could have quelled the rebellion, but then maybe that wasn't the best thing. Perhaps David is thinking about the time that he could have reached out to his son in the two years that he lived in Jerusalem, but he didn't. And so no doubt David is is heartbroken and, and thinking about the regret that he has in regards to to his own son Absalom, wondering where he went wrong and how Absalom could have done this and why he would be doing this and the shame of it all and the embarrassment of it all, but now the urgency of it all. I want you to get the picture of this betrayal. Now the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 2 Samuel 15 and verse number 30, and David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up and had his head covered and he went barefoot and all the people that was with him covered every man his head and they went up weeping as they went up. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So what are we learning about Ahithophel tonight, this grandpa that stands out as an example in the Bible of good or bad? Well, number one, we know that he was a man of, of, of worship because he was worshiping the Lord when we first find him. He knew how to pray. He knew how to praise God. He knew how to sacrifice. He knew how to offer his sacrifices. He knew the right way to approach God and the wrong way to approach God. We know, number two, that he is a man of wisdom. A man of wisdom. You say, preacher, where do you get that? Well, look at our text and see. The Bible says in verse number 31 that David prayed and said, Lord, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, he was a man of counsel. People sought his counsel. People sought his wisdom from near and far. He was one of David's counselors. And now he's going to be one of Absalom's counselors. He is a man who is a sage. He is a seer. People seek him from near and far. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 32. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshiped God, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. Unto whom David said, if thou passest on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me. He says, but if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant. Hitherto so will I now also be thy servant. Then mayest thou for me defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. All right, Hushai comes and Hushai says, hey, I'm with you, David. What do you need? What do you, what do you want from me? I'm your servant. You say jump and I'll say how high on the way up. Well, what is it that you want? You, your wish is my command. And David said, don't come with me. Go with Absalom. Make it like you're on Absalom's side. 
That way you can be used to turn the counsel of Ahithophel to nothing. Watch now. Ahithophel was a man of counsel, a man of wisdom, a man who people sought as a man of wisdom, a man who people looked to as a man of wisdom. In fact, the Bible says about him that he had great counsel. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, the Bible says, then said, 2 Samuel 16, go ahead and turn there to 2 Samuel 16. I want you to see what the Bible says. 2 Samuel 16, notice verse number 15. We'll come back and retrack our steps, but notice verse 15, Absalom and all the people uh, and all, uh, all the men of Israel and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. Look at verse number 20. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, give counsel among you what we shall do. Look at verse 23. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Very few people had it said of them that their counsel, their wisdom, was like seeking the oracle of God. The oracle of God is like the word of God. It's like seeking the prophet of God. Uh, the Bible speaks about the oracles. It's speaking about the words of God. In other words, his counsel was weighty. His counsel was often sought. His counsel was often followed. His counsel showed great wisdom. His counsel would be right up there with Solomon's counsel when Solomon made decisions and gave counsel as to what to do. His counsel would be right up there with Moses' counsel whose counsel was great and, and, and mighty and weighty. In fact, Moses set several men to, to give counsel and to, to solve problems, kind of like the, the Fifth Circuit Court, only a whole lot wiser. And, uh, and the, he would be like, Moses would be like the top court of the land, the Supreme Court. So if all the other problems were solved at the lower courts, then Moses wouldn't have to deal with it. But if we got to Moses, it was something of great importance. His counsel was like the counsel of a prophet. Like when the word of God was given. It, it wasn't equal to that, but it was in many people's minds the very thing. It, it was the counsel that was sought as if a man inquired at the oracle of God. So was the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. This was the kind of guy you'd want on your cabinet. This was the kind of guy that you knew wouldn't be a yes man, or at least it didn't seem like it. This was the guy that you knew would tell you yes if it was yes and no if you would no if it was no. This was not a guy that was a sycophant that was only trying to please the boss so that he could get a promotion or uh, some kind of a benefit at the end of the year. He was a man of worship. He was a man of great counsel and wisdom that people sought, that was weighty, that people followed. But notice back, please, to 2 Samuel 16 in verse number 15. It says that Ahithophel went with Absalom. Now, I find it curious at this stage in Ahithophel's life, who is now a grandfather, I find it curious that Ahithophel is, that Ahithophel is, is sought by Absalom. Maybe Absalom just knew that he was wise and that he needed Ahithophel's wisdom because Ahithophel had been in David's cabinet and he would know the ins and outs and the ups and downs of the inner workings of the king and the throne. Uh, maybe it was that he knew Ahithophel was a little bit dissatisfied with the way things were being run. 
And Ahithophel would, maybe he knew Ahithophel wasn't as loyal as people thought. Maybe he knew that Ahithophel might have had a burr in his saddle. Maybe he knew that Ahithophel was, uh, was someone who would quickly change his loyalties. Maybe, maybe Absalom was just trying to build his cabinet and somebody said, you know, you need somebody from the other political viewpoint, so get him on your team. Whatever the case, Absalom sought him. Whatever the case, Ahithophel followed. And now Ahithophel, a man of worship and a man of wisdom, is going to reveal some things about himself. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, was coming to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, God save the king! God save the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this thy kindness to thy friend? Why winnest thou not with thy friend? Everybody knew Hushai was a friend of David. And Hushai said unto Absalom, Nay, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his will I be and with him will I abide. And again, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in thy father's presence, so will I be in thy presence. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give counsel among you what we shall do. And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house. Remember, there were ten concubines left. And all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house. If I were you, I would underline that phrase, upon the top of the house. And Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Time out. Does this seem a little weird to you? Does this seem a little off? To you? Ahithophel, a man of worship. Ahithophel, a man of wisdom. Whom people sought for counsel and for guidance. And whose counsel was so weighty, it was right up there with what the preacher would say. Is now counseling Absalom, David's sons, David's son, to commit immorality with David's concubines. I want you to notice number three, that if Hithophel, somewhere along the line, got off track. And Ahithophel, though he was a man of worship and a man of wisdom, now shows himself to be a man of wickedness. This is weird. A man who is so weighty, so wise, so godly, a man who a king would want to keep as a close confidant, both David and and Absalom. And obviously David was concerned because he sent Hushai in as a secret, uh, uh, as a secret agent, if you will, to turn the counsel of Ahithophel to nothing. And the first thing he said when they told him Ahithophel is gone with Absalom is, Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel to foolishness. 
This is off. Why would he ask him to do that? Why would he give such wicked advice? Oh, do it, Absalom. Take your father's concubines, spread a tent, and commit immorality. Everybody will know you have no trust and no respect for him, and the world will follow you and will be able to take the throne. Something's off. You know, not all, all old men are wise. Not all old grandpas have the best of counsel. There's something that's not firing uh, on all cylinders. There's something that's off in this. Somebody needs to sit up and take note. This isn't the best day in Ahithophel's life. This wasn't the best counsel that he ever gave. Something's not right. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said, you see, Ahithophel wasn't done. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, let me now choose out 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak handed and will make, will make him afraid and all the people that are with him shall flee and I will smite the king only. And I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. I'll tell you right now, I'm, I've got real, uh, real low respect for the elders of Israel that they would go along with this. I've got real low respect for Absalom that he would do this to his father. I've got very low respect for Ahithophel that he would say this. So watch now. He's not just a man of worship. He knew how to offer sacrifices, knew how to pray, knew how to praise God, knew how to approach the Lord, knew how to get things right as far as sin was concerned, knew how to offer sacrifices that would please the Lord. But we know he's a man of wisdom, a man of great weight and counsel, so much so that a king would seek his counsel and would trust his counsel. But we also know that he's a man of great wickedness because he jumps ship and, and, and quickly without hardly any wooing, without any questions, without any wonder, with, without even any force. He goes to a, a, a Absalom without the plan of God being implemented. Ahithophel just knew, he knew like everyone else, that you don't just transfer royalty and transfer the throne to the next guy. The Lord has to be behind it and in it and on it and for it. But he just jumps ship. Without thinking twice, a, a betrayal is a, a terrible, awful thing. And David would write about it. He would say later, it was not mine enemy, then I could have borne it. It was man, mine equal, a, a guide, my counselor. We went into the house of God in company. And he speaks about this betrayal. And the scripture speaks here in Second Samuel 16 and, and says that he is a man of great wickedness because his counsel to Absalom, in the first 100 days, what's the top priority on your list? Take your father's concubines concubines, and commit open immorality in the sight of all Israel so that you can rally the, the, the troops behind you. Don't, don't, don't give an inspiring speech. <laughs> don't, don't give everybody a tax break. No, no, no. Commit immorality with your father's concubines. That'll, that'll, that'll sock it to him. And then... When everybody thought he was done, Ahithophel said, Moreover, give me 12,000 men tonight, and I'll go after your daddy's hiding in some pit somewhere, and I'll take him myself. I'll plunge a dagger into his heart. How could this be? 
What has happened to Ahithophel? Why would he make such crazy statements? Such off-track counsel? Gut him from his belly to his throat. Why would he do that? Now we know something else about Ahithophel. He was a man of great wrath. A man of great worship. A man of great wisdom. But he got off track somewhere and he became a man of great wickedness. And a man of great wrath. Is it just me or does it seem like this world is an angry, angry place? Is it just me or do you see that there is a great deal of anger and wrath in this world? You know, God says something about wrath. It says, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. The Bible says something about wrath. It says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man. Thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare unto thy soul. The Bible says something about wrath. The Bible says, uh, it, the Bible says that, that we're to be slow to, slow to speak. We're to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Well, wrath just seems to be the go-to. You know, if it doesn't please you and it doesn't make you happy and it's not the way you had intended, you just pull out a gun and boom, just shoot the opponent in the head. If things aren't working your way and things aren't going your way and this world seems to be constantly stirring up wrath. I've seen a lot of wrath just stirred up this last two or three years. Just wrath. And wrath doesn't please the Lord. Now, there is a place for righteous indignation. But I think sometimes we justify unrighteous indignation and call it righteous indignation without even considering what is righteous or unrighteous indignation. And and the Bible is very clear. We're to be long-suffering. We're to be patient. We're to be kind. And here, the Bible doesn't see, see, see clear to show us Ahithophel's kinder side. He's not thinking kind right now. He's thinking, kill David. Let me have 12,000 men. Give me the dagger. I'll plunge it into his heart and I'll bring him back draped over the side of a donkey. Hmm. What's going on in Ahithophel's life? Well, let's read and see what the Bible says. Notice what the scripture says. The Bible says the saying pleased Absalom. Look, verse number four. And the saying pleased Absalom well and the elders of Israel. Then said Absalom, call now Hushai, the archite, also, and, and, and let us hear likewise what he saith. Now, the scripture says in verse number seven, uh, verse six and one, Hushai was come to Absalom. Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken after this manner. Shall we do after this saying? If not, speak thou. And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. Hushai is smart like a fox, and he's using great wisdom and discernment right here. For that, for said Hushai, thou, thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds, as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field, and thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit, or in some other place, and, and it will come to pass, when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever heareth it will say, There is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom, and he also that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt, for all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, and they which be with him are valiant men. Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that thou go to battle in thine own person. Don't, don't send somebody else in your place. 
You should lead the battle. You should lead the way. We're all behind you, Absalom. Do you see how smart Hushai is? Verse number 12. So shall we all come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground. And of him and of all the men that are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he be gotten into a city, then shall all Israel bring ropes to that city, and we will draw it into the river until there be not one small stone found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Ahushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Hmm. You get the idea that God's not on Absalom's side? <laughs> you get the idea that God's not okay with underhandedness and deception and betrayal and, and, and a coup that's taking place? You get the idea that when the deacons called a meeting and didn't invite the pastor, that God's not okay with that? <laughs> you get the idea that, 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 that an underhanded way is not pleasing to the Lord? It certainly wasn't pleasing to the Lord here. In verse number uh, 14, it says the Lord had the intent of bringing evil upon Absalom, that he had the intent of defeating the good counsel of Ahithophel. Hmm. In fact, defeating this strategic counsel that people weighed and thought very valuable. Verse 15, Then said Hushai unto Zadok, and to Abiathar the priest, Thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom, the elders of Israel, and thus and thus have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. Now Jonathan and Ahimez stayed by Enrogel, Enrogel, for they might not be seen to come into the city. And a wench went and told them, and they went and told King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but they went, both of them, way quickly. And came to a man's house in Bahurim, which had a well in his court, whither they went down. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth, and spread ground corn thereon. And the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman to the house, they said, Where is Ahimas and Jonathan? And the woman said unto them, There they be gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And it came to pass after they were departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said unto David, Arise and pass quickly over the water, for thus hath Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people that were with him. uh, And they passed over Jordan by the morning light. There lacked not one of them that was not gone over Jordan. Watch verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, He saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. What? This is tragic. Ahithophel, the close confidant of King David? Ahithophel, the man of worship and the man of wisdom, wisdom so weighty and so great that people from all around would come and seek it and they would consider it like the oracle of God, like the word of the preacher, has now committed suicide? Yeah. You see, when Ahithophel committed suicide, he totally X'd out any good counsel he would give. Now listen to me carefully. I want to say a couple things about suicide. 
Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. Some people teach that. Suicide's not the unpardonable sin. Uh, the Jews teach that. Um, there are, are certain denominations that teach that. You'll find that amongst sometimes Pentecostals and Charismatics. Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. Uh, you don't go to hell because you commit suicide. You go to hell because you reject Jesus Christ. That's why a person dies and goes to hell. Uh, there are some people that I have known that have been good Christians with good testimonies that have somehow got caught in a cycle and a downward vortex of depression and they can't seem to get themselves out of it and they've committed suicide. Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. Sometimes people that have committed suicide have been, uh, have gotten to that place because of medicine prescribed to them by a doctor and it's, it's messed up their mind and their thinking. Uh, sometimes it's because of that. Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes I've had friends that have committed suicide. Preacher friends. One in particular committed suicide, and I believe he had gotten so deeply into sin that the devil backed him into a corner and said, all right, you've got two options out of here. Kill yourself or kill yourself. And he chose to kill himself. But I'll tell you, suicide leaves a lot of unanswered questions. Suicide, I believe, is one of the most selfish things a person could ever do. There might be a young person here right now who's considering suicide. Young person, your problem is not that nobody loves you. Your problem is not that you don't have answers. Your problem may be deeper than that, or it may be more, more easily solved than you can even realize. But I can tell you, suicide's not the answer. Uh, you think that suicide uh, really will solve your problems. It won't solve your problems. If you're saved, you'll go before the Lord prematurely and you won't have an abundant entrance and you'll give a poor account at the judgment seat of Christ. That's right. If you're lost, you're just going to enter into an eternal hell forever and ever. Suicide's not your answer. But I found this, Pastor, that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes suicide is the result of great wrath, bitterness, and unforgiveness. I think that was the case with Ahithophel. Grandpa Ahithophel was a man of worship, a man of wisdom so much so that people sought his counsel from near and far and they weighed it to be very valuable. But Ahithophel was a man who got off track and he gave wicked counsel strange, if you please, counsel to Absalom. He quickly went with Absalom. He quickly sought after Absalom. Absalom sought after him. I think they knew something. I think Absalom, the two years that he was there in Jerusalem, was buying his time. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 14 that he would go to the men of Israel by the gate in Jerusalem and he would say, what's your problem? Oh, it's too bad. He would put his arm around him. He would give him a Jewish greeting. He would, he would say, too bad there's nobody deputed of the king to hear your problem. If I were the king or if I were deputed of the king, I would solve your problem. And so the Bible says he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And I believe that he somehow saw that Ahithophel wasn't right. That he was giving counsel to David, but, but, but it wasn't with all of his heart. That, that, that there was something between David and Ahithophel. And, and maybe he knew what was going on. Maybe he knew the details. Maybe he knew the reason. But, but he just saw that Ahithophel would be his counselor quickly. And his loyalty wasn't so much with David anymore. And when he sent for him, Ahithophel came. 
And then Ahithophel gave this wicked counsel that turned to a very wrathful counsel. Let me plunge a dagger into his heart. I'll kill him and I'll bring him back. Draped over the back of a donkey. I'll bring him back. And then in the end, Ahithophel kills himself because his counsel wasn't followed. That doesn't seem like a, a wise reason. That, that doesn't seem like a, a reason that an older man who is a grandpa, who has been a man of worship and a man of wisdom, would just kill himself because his counsel wasn't followed. There's something other. You said, preacher, what could there be that is something other? Well, I want you to see what the Bible says who Ahithophel is. Uh, take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. Second Samuel 23. And I want you to see David's mighty men. This is a list of David's mighty men. And, and uh, notice the scripture, what the Bible says in Second Samuel chapter 3. I'm sorry, 23. And notice how he lists them. He lists uh, the sons of Belial. Excuse me, he lists the sons of Dino, the Esnite, in verse 8. Eliezer, in verse number 9. Shammah, in verse number 11. Uh, excuse, excuse me, verse number 13. There's three of the 30. Chief, I believe that's those that were listed up ahead. He lists Abishai in verse number 18. Uh, he lists Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in verse number 20, and the things that he did in the following verses. These are a list of David's mighty men. They were mighty men. They were great men of God. Uh, I want you to see what verse 34 says. Verse 34. The Bible says in verse number 34, Eliphalet, the son of Ahazbi, the son of the Maccathite, Watch this now. Eliab, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Hmm. Well, he's a preacher. Who is Eliam? Well, that's, that's Ahithophel's son. Well, you said, preacher, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to show you who uh, Eliam is and who is the granddaughter of of Ahithophel, 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. You know, there's some chapters in the Bible, Pastor, that I, I'd rather skip over. I know what's coming. I'd rather not read this chapter. 2 Samuel 11 is one of those chapters. When I come to 2 Samuel 10, I say, oh, this is good. Wow, this is powerful. These first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel have been so good. David, he passed the test of 1 Samuel 16 all the way to the end. And he never usurped the throne of his predecessor Saul, even though he had been anointed with oil. And he does so well in the first 10 chapters. And I come to 2 Samuel 11, I say, oh, Lord, I wish it wasn't so. Now, I'm glad that 2 Samuel 11 is in the Bible, and I believe it to be the Bible. In case you doubt, but let me say this. Uh, the Bible was a book that was written by God, not by man. Someone said it's a book that man would not have written if he could have and could not have written if he would have. Why? Because it's blatantly honest. And that honesty helps us. God doesn't write about his heroes or our heroes with just glowing terms. He shows their flaws. 
2 Samuel 11, in verse number 1, the Bible says, It came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. Stop right there. The sin has not been committed. Now, some steps have gone to that point, but the sin has not been committed. You can't help what you see. The sin is committed in the next phrase. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Uh, there's all kinds of wickedness and immodesty in our world. And you know, men and women both should be mindful of this. Uh, women should be mindful of this. Women, when you go out in public, there are men watching. And, and most women don't understand the way a man thinks uh, because they're not a man. And we wouldn't expect that. Most men don't understand the way a woman thinks. So there, we're even. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that, that m- women, you should be careful how you present yourself in public. And be careful how, how, you, how you dress in public. And, and be careful how you carry yourself, not just dress, but how you carry yourself around men. And men shouldn't be flirtatious. They should be flirtatious with their spouse. And that's all. Uh, and they shouldn't be flirtatious with women, and women shouldn't provoke it, and, and vice versa. But here, you find David in the wrong place at the wrong time. Where was David supposed to be? He was supposed to be out to battle. This was a time when kings go forth to battle. He should have been with his men sleeping in the camps like Uriah in a place of honor. But he wasn't. In verse number 2 at the end, it says, The woman was very beautiful to look upon. That's when David committed the sin. Verse 3, and David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who is Ahithophel's granddaughter, Bathsheba? His son was Eliam, and his son would bear a daughter named Bathsheba. And one day David was home when he should have been at battle and he saw Bathsheba and he looked and lusted after Bathsheba and he sent for Bathsheba and folks even tried to give him a check and a balance and say, don't do it. Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? But David sent messengers in verse 4 and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned unto her house. Look what the Bible says in verse number 2. It says, And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. If I were you, I'd underline that statement. Do you see some of the pieces coming together? Do you see that Ahithophel had a son named Eliam who was one of David's mighty men? And Eliam had a daughter named Bathsheba who later David would would break his marriage vow concerning. Later David would take into himself. Later would David would, like Nathan the prophet said, go get another man's sheep. She was already wed to Uriah. She already had opportunity before her. Seemed like she had an honorable husband. And David's going to wreck this home? And Ahithophel saw it, and Ahithophel heard of it, and when Ahithophel heard of it, his heart closed towards David, and his heart was angry towards David, and his heart was hurt by David, and wronged by David, and he grabbed hold of a grudge that he never let go against David, 
And he was angry. And slowly that anger would fester in him. And it would get infected. And he would ignore the pain. And that infection would go to the rest of his body. And it would go to his eyes. And sometimes look at David with squinty-eyed suspicion. And doubtless he would see David in a totally different light. And maybe as he came into the room when some people were talking, all of a sudden the conversation would change. And he'd say, what, 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 what what are you talking about? You're talking about my, my daughter? You're talking about my family? You're talking about what? David did. I know what David did. I know he's the one that shamed him. I know he's the one that caused Uriah to be sent back to the hottest part of the battle. I know what happened. Someday you just wait. Someday I'll get even with David. Someday on my terms and on my turf and in my time and in my way, I'll get angry and I'll get mad and I'll get even and settle the score. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why Grandpa Ahithophel offered for David to take the concubines upon the roof of the house. David's sin was done in secret at first, but it became open and Ahithophel was going to settle the score out in the open. That is why he advised Absalom to commit immorality. That is why he advised Absalom to send 12,000 men with him at the front so that he could take David's life. I'll settle this and get even somehow. And that is why when his counsel heard before all the elders was rejected, he thought there was no other option but to hang himself. Are you a grandpa? A grandma? A mom or a dad? A son or a daughter? A human who's made with sensitive nerve endings, not a Kevlar heart? Who's been hurt? And your sense of justice has been broken? You better bring that grudge to the cross. And you better do it tonight. You see, at the cross, all of our injustices are brought in full perspective. Because what was done to Jesus was wrong. What was done to Jesus was anything but right. But there Jesus, the Son of God, hung and bled and died. And He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree. And when we look at the cross, not only do we see the injustice of man, but we are exposed in the sin of our own heart. And when we hear His words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We know that includes us. See, this gets right to where we live. You said, preacher, you said there was a story of three grandpas. That's right. A grandpa who lives up in the Northeast. Some years ago, I met him and began to form a friendship with him. He's a preacher. Raised his family to know and love the Lord. His children went off to Bible college. His one daughter and son met their mates. His daughter 
went out into the ministry with her new husband. He was a youth pastor. And temptation sometime later wormed its way into his heart. And he was unfaithful to his marriage vows. Got involved with a young lady in the youth group. Well, that's just an immediate 10 years in prison. And so he went to prison. Some time ago, this grandpa told me about a situation I was dealing with. And he said, Dwight, you've got to forgive. And coming from him, it was just about the weightiest thing I could hear. Because when he went down to pick up his daughter and their baby and bring her back home, he said, I was so angry. So angry. He said, and there was a stretch of road that was just quiet. He said, finally, I said to my daughter, honey, we'll stand by you in whatever decision that you make. He said, if you divorce him, we'll stand by you. And then a long stretch of road that was quiet. And she said, daddy, what about all that you've taught us about forgiveness? What about the sermons you've preached? It was like a knife right to his heart, he said. He said, I, I, I was so ashamed. So her choice was to stay faithful. She would go and visit her husband in prison. She would call. She would never talk bad about him to her son. She would teach at her dad's school. And in the summertime, she would go and visit her in-laws. And 10 years later, when he got out, She was there to greet him. Brought him back home. You know what that grandpa did? He eventually gave the keys to his house to his son-in-law. I'm not sure I could do that. But it sure reminds me of Jesus. I'm sure the first two grandpas that I mentioned are right now regretting some of what they chose. I've never met someone who regretted forgiveness. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, would you help us? Our world is so filled with hurt and injustice. And many times we're the recipients of all of that. Lord, I pray that where we need to forgive, we would forgive. I pray, Lord, that where we are harboring hurt, we would send it out to sea. Lord, I know that's not easy. And sometimes it's complicated. It's certainly not natural. But Lord, we know it's supernatural. And you, the supernatural King of kings and great God of heaven, lives within us through the Holy Ghost. Would you help us? I'm just going to ask the pianist to play right now.
I'd like us to stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. And if God's speaking to your heart, 